You're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers, and I'm T. Hetzel. Today, I'm so happy to be talking with Natalie Bacopoulos, a friend of the show and a friend in real life, too. Uh, Natalie's second novel is now out in the world with Tin House, uh, Scorpion Fish. Natalie, welcome. Welcome to Living Writers. Hi, T. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It is so incredibly kind of you to be up for doing, like kind of going through these, these early stages of, I think with growing pains of me figuring out during this strange time, these uncertain times that we're in, um, and trying to keep doing living writers, um, and not being in the radio station, uh, just as, uh, just so everyone knows, <laughs> Natalie and I are kind of having a take two here, um, but we're we're gonna take it from here, right, Nat? Right, no problem. <laughs> okay, my friend. We were okay. we were warming up, you know. We were we were warming up, and now it's really it's really happening. Okay, so before before we get into the conversation, um, uh, the meat and potatoes of the conversation, I'll read uh, your short bio, Natalie, um, from the back of Scorpion Fish, and we'll go from there. Natalie Bacopoulos is the author of The Green Shore, Simon & Schuster, 2012, and her work has appeared in Tin House, The Iowa Review, The New York Times, Granta, Plowshares, and the Penn O'Henry Prize Stories. She is an assistant professor of creative writing at Wayne State University in Detroit and a faculty member of the summer program Writing Workshops in Greece. Natalie lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And Natalie, I'm so glad that um, <laughs> that that you're the one doing this with me. And the Liz is here too, as our as our engineer today. Um, so, Nat, um, let's let's start by talking a little bit about Greece, um, because from knowing you, and from also, and from your first novel, The Green Shores, um, which which looked at a historical moment um, in Greece very closely. Um, Greece figures prominently in your your life as a as a writer, um, as a as a teacher, as uh, as a as a person. Um, and Scorpion Fish takes us to Greece, a, a current Greece. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about the decision t- to write a novel about? Con- contemporary Greece. Sure, yeah. Um, I guess from the from the beginning, uh, in Greece is my favorite place in the world, the place I feel like my truest self. Um, and I've gone to Greece several times in my younger years, but it wasn't until about 15 years ago that I began to spend time there every year. Um, and that was also when I just finished my MFA. And so I, I felt like I was growing into my writer self at the same time that I was growing into my Greek self. And so those those two things are kind of inextricable. Um, so um, so there are a lot of worse things, particularly now, um, but I still felt a lot of sadness at not being in Greece this year. Um, but for some reason, it seems like my imagination it is in Greece and it kind of remains there, even though I was not born there like the narrator of, of my book was, but my father was born there. And um, I think it's just a place that's always kind of um, 
kind of occupied my imagination. And then as a writer has been a kind of the landscape of my, um, of my imagination. And Natalie, you, you were, you choose, well, like we mentioned Green Shores is, is more, is from looking a historical at a historical period, period right, right? Right, Um So what are some of the challenges because bringing, writing something in the present time and because thinking about Greek literature and uh, the, like sort of the, this, this expectation or lens that people have even of, um, well, you could maybe go to Greece and be healed by it and then leave or um or even like the the repu- like the 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 shadow of Zorba the Greek right uh-huh. right um i think i mean i was really interested in writing about contemporary greece particularly athens now because it's a city i love and also you know like you mentioned my first book it was a historical novel and i think at the time as a writer i was really just kind of thinking about a novel as like a, a a novel as realism. It was a third person, uh, rotating point of view novel. Um, and then when I was writing Scorpion Fish, I was really started to think more about how we tell stories, first person narration, uh, the emotional stakes of the telling of a story. And I wanted it to be in a contemporary moment. The problem with a contemporary moment, of course, when you're writing about it is it keeps shifting. Yes. And I think the, the novelist David uh, Besmogis has said that Bez Mosges has said that um, when you're writing the contemporary moment, you need to just kind of commit to a point that gives you a steady structure to leap from, because otherwise, especially if it's something going on that's politically fraught or um, in a period of change, that that you could just spend your life writing, you know, the story over because you keep getting the facts wrong, and, and that's something that was happening to me, and I just kind of decided to allow myself an imagined contemporary Athens that. But instead of having to worry about, you know, thing, the politics changing, et cetera, et cetera. And so at a certain point, you just, you, you have all the research and then you let it go and you, you have the imagination that, that that's the imaginative sort of, you just go. Yeah, ac- absolutely. And I kept thinking of, I mean, so much of this book is about time collapsing like you've got the the time of the telling the time that's being narrated and the past of memory kind of intruding in all the time and those things start to feel really fluid particularly for Mira the narrator um, remembering her mother when she was five and remembering you know a time on an island 20 years before and the way especially I think when you're writing about returns that happen pretty often you you keep coming back to a place and you realize all this time in between has collapsed. Like, oh, here I am again. I'm 25. I'm 30. I'm 35. I'm 40. Getting off the plane. And so I was thinking about, particularly when you keep going back to a place, the way time can feel so strange. Um, every, every, not every Greek I know, but many of my, many of my Greek friends always and family talk about their first swim in the summer. So they'll say, like, oh, I had my first swim on May 1st. When was yours? And if someone's really brave, they'll say, oh, mine was April 1st or, or whatever. Um, but the idea that every swim is kind of the memory of the last first swim. And, and so th- I kept thinking about just the way time is measured, especially when you don't live in a place full time. And so I was thinking more of those things in this novel, kind of um, like I'm thinking about the more metaphysical knowing, being, becoming, uh, that kind of thing in, in this one. Oh, I love that idea of the first swim, Natalie. 
I love it too. And I never had one this year. So my first swim will still be next this time. This year will just kind of collapse. And then my first swim, I hope will be in, I don't know when I can come back May, maybe. So what was your last first swim? And then I'll let go of this. <laughs> oh, I, I used to write them down. I think my last, last year's first swim was probably, I want to say something like May 5th. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I'm just, yeah, thinking about the water. Oh, okay. So everyone out there, um, because it is, it is a strange time and an uncertain time that we're in right now. So it's, I think there's something about thinking about the ocean. Um, and if, even if you can't get to it, Natalie, this is sort of off the, the track of scorpion fish at the moment. Um, but do you find yourself because you haven't been able to get to Greece and to the, the swim and the, the being by the sea. Like, do you find yourself here in, in Michigan, in Ann Arbor, where there's something else, like maybe something from the natural world or something else that your imagination kind of, I don't know, steps into for this, to fill this experience or space in you? I think, I mean, I wish I could say that there was some kind of equivalent that I had, but I've been so, I've been so, um, you know, I've been staying basically in my house and in my yard and in my, in my, you know, walking through the neighborhood. And I really have not even, I feel like pretty soon I need to start venturing out and going out for hikes, you know, half an hour away or going, we have so much water around us, but, or, or near us anyway, in Ann Arbor, close enough that we could drive to, but be, beyond the, the river of the Arb, I haven't. I haven't gone in. In some way, I wonder if I'm punishing myself because I'm so upset that I wasn't in Greece that I'm like, well, that's it. No, there's no fun to be had now. There's no, you know, like just, if I can't do this, I don't want any of it. And that's kind of, you know, it only hurts. It only hurts me. But, <laughs> but well, I will say that I have loved your Instagram. Um, I know we've talked about this before, but um, just that you are having these um, bunnies outside your window and, um, and I think ducks a lot earlier. Am I just maybe imagining that? Was there a duck too now? Yeah, there were ducks. And remember when <laughs> we have, um, we had every few months starting at, I think on May or the beginning of May, there was a tiny little rabbit that lived outside my window, um, near my office at, at home. And then, and then every morning I wake, wake up and she'd be there just, you know, sitting quietly. And then she started going out into the yard and then there was a new little one. And then there was another little one. And so we've had this series of rabbits that I call them the pandemic bunnies because they've given me such joy just watching them <laughs> from my, from my, you know, back porch or whatever. Um, but yeah, they're just, you know, the other night, um, I was going to go out for a walk or it was around nine at night and there's a skunk just hanging out in the front yard. And <laughs> Uh, one night, one morning, we woke up and there were two possum just, you know, mating in the in the on the off the back porch, and so it's like they've just they've taken over the the yes. whole place, you know. It really seems like that. We had like two young like baby raccoons in the in the backyard for a while. It just seems like the the animals are and the birds and hummingbirds. It's like I. I'm, I feel like they, they are coming coming out and coming back in a way, or or, or it's just my awareness is finally, um, I'm I'm paying more attention. That's what I wasn't sure about. If I if I'm just not here in the summer and the animals are thinking, what are they doing here? Like usually we have you know full reign of this yard, but um, or or if I just have more time to pay attention, even 
you know, when we're working, we're working from home or not everybody, but I'm lucky to be able to work from home. Um, and so I just was way more aware of these little things that are happening in the, in the yard, in the neighborhood. And so we, so we were, we were talking a little bit about, um, the, the loss, like feeling the loss of not being able to go somewhere and, and, and Greece, um, which is the setting for scorpion fish. Um, and I feel like scorpion fish in a way, Nat, is, um, is, is a novel where there's, it's living with loss. Like loss is, is a big part of it. Um, because it almost feels like it's, it's can be something very concrete, like the loss of Mira's parents. So one of the two narrators, Mira, she, she loses her parents. And then her, the person that she believes is her partner, her boyfriend is, um, breaks up with her. Um, and this feeling also of, uh, like a loss of identity, like reckoning somehow with herself as a woman. I, I think as you, as you had said, she's about to turn 40, which can be, um, a big age for people. Um, yeah, I was thinking a lot about, um, age, especially for women and yes. the different ages, um, that I think, you know, when you're a young, at least in my experience, as a young woman traveling through Greece alone, say 25 or 30, there's something kind of rebellious and interesting about it. And, and, and if you're sitting alone, um, people would like to know your story or there's, there's something kind of, you know, badass about it. Yeah. Then as you get, I think, and I don't agree with this at all, but I think as you get older, a woman alone is suspect in different ways. And that's always really bothered me because I really like traveling alone and I don't mind sitting alone and people watching and having yes. dinner alone even. But I think that as I've gotten older, I've noticed the reaction to me is a little bit different that, Either I've abandoned my children at home, or I've abandoned a spouse, or I've done I'm I'm doing something wrong or transgressive, and so I've thought a lot. I was thinking a lot about women in space and how the way that we move through public space in in this book, and and I think at the the kind of cusp of forty seemed to me the that that kind of one of those cutoff lines in, in many ways. And also for a woman, Mira does not have children. And although women have children after 40 all the time, it is the, the kind of point where people start to, you know, wonder, are you going to have kids or not? Or, or they sort of start to measure you as someone who is childless, so to speak. And so I was thinking about that, that transition for her. You can't see me, Nat, but I'm just been nodding vigorously with everything that you're saying. Oh, good. I wish I could see you. I wish we were still in, in the studio together and, you know, oh, having a beer together. But, exactly. Yeah. We, will, we will again. We yeah, will we, again. We will yeah. again. Yeah. Um, so, but, but so thinking about this, um, because I think there's even a part in the novel where the people are not just thinking it about Mira, but they actually are saying it to her or something like where it, it, it sort of comes up and she acknowledges or, or says that you go from being um, like childless to, or oh, I should really have written this oh, down. I, if I'm I think I know to. what you're talking about, <laughs> that people that were measured in terms of, um, we started being measured in terms of uh, lack instead of terms of potential, like the things yes. we don't have. I was thinking about that a lot for, for a lot of the characters, but especially for Mira and also Nefeli, who's much older and has kind of made a, a different life for herself. I have to say, Nefeli, I, I just, I love the character of Nefeli. And I, 
breaks my heart. I don't know if we, um, like what, how far we can talk. I don't, I don't know. What do you want to talk about with Nefeli's, like her story and in, because I don't want to spoil anything. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, Nefe- I think right when Mira arrives in Athens, she notices Nefeli is acting somewhat strangely, but she also has always been kind of a woman who makes her own way and is very moody and prone to mood swings and will, you know, disappear for um, several weeks at a time. She's an artist, a visual artist. And so when she's creating something or getting ready for a show, she's used to not seeing her. But Mira does see that something else. She knows kind of early on that something might be a little bit off, um, but she's also so kind of um, untethered and she's grieving and so she's she's not sure she's not reading all the signs that maybe she should be reading um, what's going on with Nefeli um, but with Nefeli she was a, a really minor character in the green shore she was a very young artist who was oh. imprisoned on, on one of the island um, the island in exile by the junta um, on the island as like an 18 17 or 18 year old and then i just couldn't get her out of my mind i kept thinking about well what would a woman who came of age during the dictatorship between 67 and 74 that period of time in greek history uh who would she be now um and she was a young artist in the green shore very minor character but now I, i wanted to kind of keep think about who she'd be now as a woman in her, you know, 60s, early 70s, even late 60s, I think, um, as an artist. Um, And I was trying to think about a character who uh, is sort of traducing social norms while still not being, I guess, immune to um, its oppression or the society's oppression. Um, So a character who's making her own way in the world on her own terms, but still has been hurt by a society that is somewhat socially conservative and she's queer, she's um, unmarried. She had a lover for many years who was uh, Mira's aunt, but whose Mira's aunt never quite was comfortable enough with their relationship to be out to her parents. And so there was like a lot of, a lot of things going on for Nefeli. Um, and so I also was thinking, but I was also thinking about the way um these kind of intergenerational friendships and um, mm. the way that for Mira, some of her friends are very much younger than her. Some are older than her and the way they sort of create this kind of second family in, um, in Athens for her. Yes. And it, and the, the arc of Nefeli, it's part of the, I feel like it might be the most heartbreaking part in, in Scorpion Fish. Um, for me as one reader. I think, yeah, you know, the the character of Nefeli was, um, I don't want to say she's based on anybody because it it really truly is a work of fiction, absolutely, a work of the imagination. But um, she was kind of emotionally, I think, based on my uh, aunt, my dad's sister, who um, was not an artist, but she was um she worked at she her life was um the way that she made a living i should say is as a tour guide but the way she made her life was as a she was a writer she um was kind of an independent scholar she was a uh a, a gay activist a queer activist or a lesbian activist in athens um and something I didn't learn about until much later and in my, like after my aunt had passed away. And so I was thinking about um, how, you know, I was thinking about a character that that still lived her life on her own terms and had great moments of joy and success, but also felt kind of shut out by certain elements of the society. Yeah, because there, there is a, a, 
a cost with um, s- struggling with because so many parts of society don't want you to be that way like to be I don't know like the the containers that um, I don't know society really would feel like more comfortable if if yeah. people are more recognizable right yeah um, more recognizable and I think for Nefeli everything she does is kind of ambiguous and she God. wants she wants a kind of ambiguity um, and she kind of explores that both in her art and in, in her life and then um, also with Nefeli I was thinking of um, because she's an artist who's also she's a painter but she also has started doing these installations both sound installations and um, you know physical installations um, and I was thinking a lot about public space and how we take up space as women, how art takes up space, is art, um, is, you know, what is public, what is private, um, what does it belong to, who does it belong to, who does the space belong to? Um, and I think I was thinking this through the lens of an artist who kept thinking about this is how she asserts herself and keeps herself alive in many different ways, I think, by the way she shifts her art um, again and again. And it's also a way that in Scorpion Fish, how you're able to show some things that are happening um, during the the financial crisis and and um, and also like about um, like other things because there's the refugee crisis at this time, um, and so one of Nefeli's installations is is attacked um, and and. Uh, and so like by vandals and so the response to that and the, the friend's response it's a way of um showing what's happening without it being um i don't know a very economical way of showing and making it feel more genuine that's a really interesting um way to look at it t i really appreciate that that reading and and i think um i mean i was thinking of uh, so often when i see these um, I see these kind of installations or things that are public art. My first instinct, and it doesn't say a lot for my thoughts on, on humanity, is like, oh, will this be okay out here? You know, will this will this be okay? And I think <clears throat> for Nefeli, excuse me, for Nefeli, I think she almost wants the narrative of what happens it, to it to be part of the project itself, or that's at least what I was thinking, yes. that that's how she would see it. Yes. So she didn't art- want it to be kind of pristine or untouched she actually almost wanted it to be you know it was almost like a provocation yes. to put it there <clears throat> yes yes and it's um it ties back to something we've we've talked about um at, a, at an, another t- before natalie about this sense of like the outsider like how that's such a valuable um i don't know perspective in in, 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 I think being in the world, like just to, <laughs> to say that, but in writing your characters too, having these different, um, perspectives, uh, I don't know, to be adding up into uh, like the feeling of, or the experience of the whole novel. Yeah. I think, I think there is something about, I mean, I think this novel, both, both there's two narrators and both are telling their stories in first person and not from a great distance after the end of the book. Like it's a very close uh, distance, um, almost like it's an epistolary kind of present where the day ends and they tell the story. But this was kind of at the end of the summer, maybe they're telling the story. <clears throat> and 
excuse me, and there's, um, I kept thinking about the way we, you know, where we, uh, telling a story is kind of a subversion of time because you enter it again to tell the story. And then how much are you retelling or re or misremembering as you tell the story and how much are you shaping? And every time you tell the story, you're leaving out other things or you're shaping it. Right. Um, did I, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but the Elena Ferrante line about, um, each of us narrates our own life yes. to suit us. Yes. I kept thinking about that, that line, that, that, to tell a story is still to tell your own version of the story, even if, you're, you know, you can't be objective. There's no such thing. You're telling a subjective story and you have the, the emotional stakes of the telling are as much of the story as the, what the actions or the things that happened themselves. Um, and then I was, I was moved by this line even, you know, years ago, uh, Nadine Gordimer in her Nobel Prize speech said, says something like, um, the tension between the tension between standing apart and being fully involved, I think something that that's where fiction springs from. But I also think that's just where the kind of the position of the writer is. You're both watching the action as, as you're aware of the action, even as you're a part of the action, and you're kind of never quite. You're in the moment, but you're also kind of narrating the moment in your mind, or you're re-narrating narrating it as you actually go to tell the story. And so I like that tension between between doing and between doing and and uh, t- telling, or between doing and narrating. Mm-hmm. Nat, how did you decide to have the dual narrators, to have Mira, and to have the captain as narrators? Like, I why think, those two? I think first the I had the character of Mira first in my mind and her voice. And I, I attempted the novel a couple times from her voice and she was a very different character with a different name, a different position, different job. Um, and then in 2014, um, I took a semester off from, I was teaching at University of Michigan at the time and I took a semester off and taught for a semester at sea, which is a floating university <laughs> of you know 600 students and, and 100 faculty or 40 faculty and 100 some staff. Um, and so I, you know, basically sailed around the world with this program teaching on, on the ship. Wow. And there were, there were times when we were, um, like in the middle of the Pacific for days and you would just be having class and you're, there's just nothing around except the Pacific. And one, one, one day I went out, um, we had a little balcony. We were lucky enough to have a little balcony off our room. So we didn't feel completely claustrophobic on a ship for all these months. And I saw in the front of the ship, the ship's captain was just standing out in front, just kind of looking. It didn't seem like he was, he just was kind of standing out there looking out into the water. And I thought, oh, that's who the second voice is. Like I had a, a voice in my head was a, was a man that was talking with Mira, but I wasn't quite sure how, who he was. And then I just, this idea of a, of a captain came into my mind as someone who was at sea. And I thought, what would it be like to be, go from sea to land? And what would that transition be like? And so then he kind of popped into my, my mind. That was, this was 2014. And then the story kind of took off. I started writing the book over then. Um, and then um, in 2015, when I was in, in Athens, the apartment I was renting from the friend of a friend um, is kind of a typical Athens apartment where um, the the balconies look out sometimes over the street or over, but mine looked out over a courtyard. And the balcony next to me, in the apartment next to me, was just kind of separated by a half, like a opaque glass wall. So you would knew when someone else was out there, but you kind of, you know, tried to keep keep some some level of, of privacy um 
But I really love that courtyard. You'd hear like, oh, here come the... <laughs> um, the French neighbors across the courtyard do their Skype calls at 8.15 every night and so-and-so comes home and makes dinner at 9 and this person is, you know, putting out her laundry then. And I love the way that you kind of had this rhythm of this communal living, but the person who was next to you, you kind of gave them a little bit of space. Um, and so I was started imagining what if two characters were living side by side there, having these conversations, but being sort of freed by, for Mira, the one narrator, kind of freed from the male gaze, I guess, or being looked at, um, and the sort of intimacy that comes from having these kind of intimate conversations, but not really, but not seeing each other. And so I was, I began thinking about what would come of that structure. Um, yeah. That's all, that's all I'll say about that now. I, I'm happy but, to talk more about it. Yeah, well, then please do. Because <laughs> I, I love this, Natalie. It's, it's so, um, it's wonderful to hear how you've, you've already done two, like, write-throughs with, with this, right? And uh, the novel, like two drafts or so, or, or, or more possibly. But these, and then these other um, moments actually were the things that changed everything, like seeing the ship's captain <laughs> at a semester at sea looking out. Um, and then the courtyard of knowing that you're, you're perhaps like the closest to this person, like this, this, um, like you said, the, well, I don't know, like this intimacy of space and the same balcony and yet you're not looking out at them because you want to give them some sort uh, yeah. I, I love how this is like the parts that it just seems so, um, true that how we're pulling in these parts as the novel is growing because you were you were jokingly saying before we started like it took we were talking about the green shores and 2012 and then you said oh it took eight years for this one but then you can see why it's such a good one (laughs) like why it's worth it Oh, thank you, T. That's a really sweet thing to say. I I think I'm such a a slow writer and it takes me, some people I think find the right, people say sometimes once you find the voice of the novel, um, you're fine, but it can take a long time to find that voice. And I think once I found the voice, this was by, you know, by 2014 or 15, that's when I really started writing it through, but then it, it kept changing. And even though the situations were the same. Like I knew it would be a captain who was no longer at sea and I knew he was in a state of limbo, um, going through a divorce. I knew that pretty early on and I knew Mira would come to Athens and get, um, one, her boyfriend would break up with her and that her parents had died months before, but I didn't really know anything else where that story would go until I kind of let them sort of begin telling each other a story. And I like the idea of the balcony because they have an audience of each other, but you know, everybody else could ostensibly be listening and they probably were, you know, (laughs) they probably were listening. And so there's this implied audience of each one another, but then there's of course the larger audience of everybody else listening. And I like, I, I wanted to kind of mimic that in the novel that sometimes they are talking to each other literally on those balconies, but other times they're talking to a reader that you know, they tell things to the reader that they don't tell to each other necessarily. And then I wanted, as the novel went on, for those things to start blurring the line of, wait, are they, is she thinking this? Is she saying it out loud? Is she talking to him? Um, and to, and even at moments I wanted to feel more surreal, like think events that happen later in the novel that might be more, um, 
more kind of at an angle to their individual realities, things that happen, say, in the middle of the night or um, when they're not not on their balconies and they run into each other, the, the way that that can feel kind of strange to them both. Oh, oh, how interesting. So thinking of it as the connection, the connection between the captain and Mira, because when you, you were saying that, Nat, I started to think of Mira's relationship with her mother, like in reckoning with um, the like the loss of her mother, but also I think just the epic presence her mother still has in her life. I wrote, so I did write this quote down, um, like very early on in the novel, page eight, um, my mother, always the subtext. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to make both a, a I mean, almost a joke of yeah. a, a joke of the idea of like what the subtext was of, of, of grief and also the way that I think Mira was realizing how what a hold her parent. I think in a way when you're the child of immigrants or you're an immigrant yourself, the way you sort of navigate the world for your parents and, and as a as an only child, I think that only child can almost become like another spouse to the relationship and it becomes this kind of inextricable um, you know, ball of, I don't know, tangled up, uh, it's kind of a tangled up relationship. And then I think once her parents have died, she's so grief stricken and, and kind of lost, but also realizes that she is moving through the world and is seen and is, is her own kind of person with her own identity. And it's kind of a late thing to realize at the age of 40, but she's sort of realizing her, how much she felt that she, maybe all along wanted to spend more time in Greece, but had the sort of the guilt of her parents saying, we sacrificed so much for you, you know, give you this American education and this, this kind of privilege of, of what we gave you. And now you just want to go back to where you started from, you know. Although that might be more from if thinking of both her parents, um, the father's perspective, because it seems like the mother was always feeling this, um, this grief for being separated from her country and kind of wanting to go back for more than the summers when they went. Um, yeah. And yeah, well, yeah, sorry, Nat, go on. Oh, no, I was, yes, absolutely. The, the father, I, I think I was thinking of the father kind of was, was himself anywhere. And I was thinking of the way, you know, that maybe that generation of, of women might feel a little, um, not resentful toward her spouse, but he was kind of making the decisions and she was going along with them. And her way of being was kind of through his his decisions and his plan, and he wanted to to come to the to states to pursue a graduate degree or whatever, and she had to go along with it. And I think for her, she just never quite had the agency to find her own way, and, and sort of um, was became quite depressed in, in the states and never quite found a, a place to to be there in the same way that her father did. And and in this this. And in Scorpion Fish, as the, which you mentioned now also, that there's this blurring that happens as you get further into the novel. Um, and I think it's, I think, at least from my one, the one reader's um, experience um, in Mira's mind, because I think there's, there's just a part when she's, like, the reckoning is really happening, when she's, it feels potentially that a loss of her own identity trying to figure out what it means to be like a woman at 40 and the losses that she's feeling um and then the the mother appears like on a bench at a certain point I think like so it's almost feels surreal surreal because 
there's a very real presence like you you know that I think you just capture this so well where there's someone is dead like they they may be gone but they're not really gone because of your the relationship you have with them there's some different kind of one that you have with their ghost I mean I don't know I am I'm yeah. not saying this very well but. no I, I know exactly what you mean there's the, the sense of I mean I was thinking of in in uh, Mir is not particularly um religious but in but there's the kind of 40 days of mourning after a death and um she I think she mentions that she had her 40 days in Chicago where she's from of mourning and then she comes in Athens and realizes she has to go through the 40 days of grief all over again kind of and and so this sense of like oh here we go again like everything in twos when you kind of have this this sort of du duality or this transnational uh way of being in the world um and I think also I was thinking about the way grief kind of comes in waves and it doesn't always happen in a linear way. Like they, if, if someone said to you, okay, this feels terrible now, but in 22 days, you're going to be fine. Or <laughs> in, in four years, you're going to be fine. You just don't know. And I think for her, um, another loss that uh, or she experiences several losses in Athens and, uh, in, in different ways. And each one kind of ignites an older grief. And so again, time starts to collapse. Like is she mourning her mother or her father or some of the other losses that come in, in the book? Yes, because one of them would be um, a character who has a smaller role, but like a big, but 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 a big part. Some um, Fady and Demetra, um, they have Rami staying with them. They have a daughter, Layla. Um, and that Rami is a refugee from Damascus, um, kind of coming through. Although, as a family, they wish he would stay. Yeah, I think he's someone that um, the the uh, the character of Fadi knew his his father from university days, and so um, so the idea that they would that when he arrives in Athens, it, he's able to find them. And this is not part of the book; this happens kind of off off the stage. Um, and I wanted to think focus on this kid Rami as a as yes, he's a, he's a refugee, but he's also um, I didn't want to. I was really moved by um, an essay by uh, Dina Nayeri called um, uh, The Ungrateful Refugee. And it's a, it's a whole book, but it was the essay that I had read um, about the way that we want, and not just, not just her essay, but the way that we also often want stories of the kind of the escape story or the, the dramatic story or what happened or the story of war, the story of, of trauma. And, and for some reason um, that, that we want those, especially Americans want them. And, and, and she kind of argues that we want them to show kind of a superiority almost, or, or aren't you so grateful to be here? You must, you must feel so lucky, even though often it's like, well, I don't feel that lucky. I left my home and I missed my grandfather and I'm never going to see my, you know, best friend again or whatever. And, and so I wanted to think about Rami as having the story that, that Mira just did not have access to. I didn't want to give her access to it because uh, for kind of more philosophical reasons of who gets to tell whose stories, but right. also because he was living a life in Athens and, and making a life there, even though he knew it was transient. He has a brother in Berlin that he's trying to get to, but the asylum laws had made things kind of complicated at the time, um, although he's able to reunite with him. Um, 
but I wanted to think about a kid who's, you know, a, a kind of preteen, young teen, an aspiring artist, a writer. He loves soccer and YouTubes and uh, he, YouTube and he like YouTubes. I sound like what, YouTubes on the Internet, uh, YouTube and, and YouTube videos and things like that. He loves video games, but he's still a kid and he needs, you know, he's a kid and he needs the things that kids need. And I wanted um, him to be a part of Mira's life in the way that she's kind of helping him think about what store how stories are told and and how we tell them and 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 she's also learning something of course about how she tells stories and whose stories she wants to tell yes because her her job as an academic is uh, an ethnographer right right so there's so many layers nat of this like whose story the stories you're telling and the acknowledgement i think of how when you tell when you enter someone else's life, you also change the space of the story that they're telling too. And of course, you know, I think anthropologists and ethnographers will talk about the way that there's a kind of reflexivity that happens or the way that you do change the space. But she's starting to feel that that's not enough for her. Like she just wants to, I think, tell stories or, or write in a slightly different way that doesn't always rely on kind of extricating stories from other people, but she's not quite sure what that is. Oh, Natalie, I've I've loved talking with you. I can I ask you one more question? Sure, um, if we have time before we go, um, because in the 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 epigraph at the beginning of Scorpion Fish um, is is also it's by Ferrante, by Elena Ferrante, um, and and we've talked about her. You mentioned her. Um, what like what is she to you as maybe as a writer or as a person, an idea of a person? Cause, cause it feels like her presence is, is, is here. It's like, I, well, I mean, it's the epigraph. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's printed there too. Yeah. I, th I think I was reading. So when I was writing this, I was reading the Neapolitan quartet. I was reading Ferrante so much. And I think I know a lot of writers say they don't want to be influenced by what they're writing, but I love to kind of have everything come into it. Like I mm. love when, when I'm writing something and I can feel the influences of, or I'm thinking about almost, almost like in conversation with other writers. Um, and I love the way, I mean, I love so much about Ferrante, but what I love about the way that she writes the kind of way a uh, sort of oppressive society might work, act on the body and the way that it acts on the way women make their way in the world. Um, the way politics is always so present, but so it's both so visible in, in Ferrante's books, but also kind of off the scenes, you know, off, off stage. And I really love that so much. Um, and I love the way that she just th thinks about the, the boundaries between people. Um, and also the way that in, especially in the Neapolitan novels, but also in other, other works of hers, the way that how a story is told or how the, the woman writer kind of tells her story and, and kind of makes her own space is such a theme. And so I was thinking a lot about, about her when I was writing this. Absolutely. I, and thank you for writing this Mira as, as, as the narrator, Natalie in Scorpion Fish. It's, I don't know. There was something about reading your book where I was just like, finally, like, cause you, you, you don't always, like, I feel like there aren't as many, um, of these narrators that are also, um, like they're in a place of loss and, and building or like what you said earlier, like this being, knowing, becoming, mm -hmm. and, and maybe un, unknowing, like the not knowing, right? Yeah. The, the becoming. Yeah. The unbecoming, the unknowing. <laughs> I mean, I love the way that we say the word unbecoming means like 
untoward or or that's not attractive when something's unbecoming you know right. i love that expression oh that's not becoming you know and, and i was i was thinking a lot about like what does it mean to be becoming or unbecoming but yeah well, Natalie, I've loved talking with you. Thanks so much for talking today. Thank you so much for having me, Tia. It's so nice to be back on your show, and, and I, I really love listening to, to you all the time. So thanks for having me. Well, but let's, well let's talk soon, okay? Okay, see you, um, uh, Today on Living Writers, Scorpion Fish, a novel by Natalie Bacopoulos. Um, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Until next time. Maybe I'm in love with you 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 I say maybe Maybe I'm in love with you
αλλάξει, με έχει σκάψει. Την προσβολή σου δεν θα τη δεχτώ. Τραγούδια έλα να σε αγαπώ. Με στα μάτια σου παίζουν κρυφτό. Έχει μπει στη ζωή μου την καρδιά μου να πονά. Και από το γέλιο στο δακρύνι γυρνά. Να σε πάρω δικιά μου με ένα νερό τα τρελό. Φορτουνιάζει κι απόψε το μυαλό. Το φεγγαρί αλήτη σου χαϊδεύει το κορμί Κι η νύχτα μυρίζει για σένα Τώρα τι να σου πω Φταίω που σε αγαπώ Τα άστρα χειρικαίνει Ταξιδεύω μαζί σου κι οι σκέψεις μου κρυφές Μα ταξίδι δεν κάναμε ποτέ. Να σε κάνω δικιά μου σε φωνάζω τις βραδιές Μα δεν ήρθες και σήμερα και χθες Είμαι μόνος κι απόψε μέσα σε όνειρα φωτιά Η αγκαλιά σου για μένα ξενιτιά το φεγγαρί αλήτη σου χαϊδεύει το κορμί Κι η νύχτα μυρίζει για σένα Τώρα τι να σου πω Φταίω που σ' αγαπώ Τα άστρα χίκαν Thank you. 
WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. We're airing selected hours from our extensive broadcast archive during the university shutdown. We'll return to live programming as conditions permit.
to go with me down my day. 